morning, everybody. Good to see you this morning. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, it's awful good to be sitting next to you this morning. Yes. Amen. Well, we had a, we had a wonderful little fall fellowship festival yesterday and want to thank our hospitality team for throwing that together and the Braves for hosting us and Alan for bringing a horse and we had horseback riders yesterday. Yeah, give, the, give them all a hand and thank them. It was a great time, um, and we're just glad to be able to, to, to fellowship with one another. we got a great bunch of people here, so seems like a lot of people are maybe under the weather this morning, and I heard from a lot of people, so be in prayer for folks that are dealing with, with illness this morning. But I want to I continue in a sermon series that we've been in here for a little while uh, called Grace Encounters, and I'm going to finish it up this week. And I'm going to finish it up. We've talked about these, these different characters in the New Testament that had these encounters with Jesus. They had an encounter with the grace of Jesus Christ that radically transformed their lives. And this morning, I'm going to speak about a man that was honestly demonized to the point that if you read the story, it almost seems like a, like a scary story or something. It's in Mark chapter 5. If you have a Bible, you can go there. We'll be hanging out in Mark chapter 5. But I want to call this message ambassador set free so if you would with me let's let's just pray before we jump into the word this morning father we thank you so much for your continued faithfulness to us god we thank you for your presence for your spirit lord for your word that transforms our lives and so holy spirit we ask you this morning to come and ignite our hearts afresh with the fire of your spirit lord we pray that you'd open our hearts you'd open our ears to hear and Lord, that your word would go forth and do the work and accomplish the work that you send it forth to do. And Lord, we just yield to your will this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So if we're talking about an ambassador set free. I mean, honestly, if you live in our society today, you gotta, you got to answer the question, what does it even mean to be set free? Because our society and our culture, I believe they wrongly believe that to be free means that you get to choose to do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, however you want to do it, without any consequences or anything taking place because of it. You just simply get to be who you are, be yourself, and do what you want to do. But the Bible presents a different story about what true freedom really is. And the scripture teaches us that it is for freedom that Christ Jesus has come and set us free. And there's many things that you see throughout scripture that the, that the scripture teaches that Jesus has come to set us free from, no doubt about it. But we need to have an understanding of what it truly means to be set free. And so I remember when I was about 20 years of age, I finally realized that I was actually enslaved to some things. And this took me a while to get to this understanding because as a teenager, all I ever wanted was freedom, right? When I was 13, 14 years old, I just wanted nobody telling me what to do. I wanted to do me and make the decisions that I wanted to make. And before long, as I made these decisions, what I came to find out that actually I was experiencing more and more emptiness. I was experiencing a fear of the future. I was experiencing loneliness and depression and anxiety. And in all of those things, I turned to drugs. I turned to alcohol to numb the pain. I turned to sex and pornography. And all of these things flooded into my life. And the lie was that somehow these things would bring me some sort of refreshment. They'd bring me some sort of peace. They would bring me some sort of pleasure and joy. And for a moment, i got to be honest with you. The Bible says that sin is enjoyable for a season, right? 
right? That sometimes when we enter into those things, we think that it's freedom, we think that it's pleasure. But what we don't realize is that behind the scenes of all those decisions, that there are powers of darkness at work that are working to draw us in deeper into those things. And one morning, all of a sudden, you wake up if you're like me and you realize these things are not decisions that I'm making in my freedom. Now I understand and realize that I'm actually enslaved to these things. So it's a totally different view in society because when we live in our world, they think that most people imagine that doing those things is a choice for freedom, not realizing that the reason they choose it over and over again is because they are enslaved to those things. And so you need to understand that there are demonic powers at work in our world, right? Would you agree with that this morning? That is a biblical worldview that when Jesus shows up on the scene, he confronts head on the powers of darkness that are at work in the world and he reveals them to be the ones that are behind the scene at work leading people further and further away from God and deeper into enslavement. Now, we get into this season and I'll be honest with you, I love fall, it's my favorite time of year, but I do not like Halloween. I don't like when they start having scary movies on, on even, even, even the, you know, just the previews that come on TV. I'm like, you know what, I cancel that in Jesus' name like that one dude did when he's going through. I cancel the ghosts and the goblins, and that's a joke if you understand it, but, but, uh, but I, I'm just not a big fan of it. And, and I don't know, I don't, I don't know, I, I just, for me, fear and horror is tied in with the powers of darkness, and I'm not, I'm not really a big fan. I know some people like that, like I, I've talked to people about how they like scary movies, so I'm not here to bring judgment on you for that. But it seems like, honestly, even most Christians, they think about the demonic realm in terms of scary things like that. They don't understand the subtle deception of the demonic in our daily lives. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall into about demons. He said, one is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And so he's trying to bring balance. He goes on to argue when he makes this statement that in the West, like in American culture and European culture, that really demons, demons know that they're better off to remain hidden from us because we are spiritually so ignorant and spiritually so numb to the reality of spiritual warfare that for them to manifest and reveal themselves would simply be a wake-up call to a dead church. Consider that. That demons understand that if they were to put on a show, it would actually work against them because they work better hidden in darkness behind the scenes in subtle deception. And then Hollywood works with them to make people think that the demonic is people foaming out their mouths and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And don't get me wrong, there are aspects of that. But the, but the real demonic is at work in subtle day-to-day -day deception, even among the church, of bringing people into bondage slowly here, slowly there, and people cover those things up and are not moving in the freedom that Jesus Christ has. They prefer to remain in the darkness. They are working the long game in your life, in my life, in the world of entangling people with things that they watch. And as you see our world go deeper and deeper into darkness, you see things ju that just 10 years ago were we're not even acceptable in the least, but now they're becoming more and more acceptable, but yet we know they, they are firmly planted against the Word of God and the truth of God's Word. And so you see more and more darkness being unleashed. Why? Because our world is coming into greater measure of agreement with demonic forces. 
But yet they don't manifest themselves blatantly. They convince us that we're actually progressing as a human race. Isn't that interesting? And so we're working in this and we, and we start to see that if we look throughout the scriptures, one of the most common themes, if not the most common theme in the New Testament, is the clash between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. Jesus actually taught us to pray, Lord, deliver us from evil. He taught us to pray that prayer because he knew that evil was at work in the world and we needed to be set free from the powers of darkness. 1 John 3, 8 says that the reason the Son of God appeared was why? To destroy the works of the devil. The Bible teaches that the works of the enemy are, are, are rampant in the world in such a way that the forces that bind us and deceive us are not something that we can overcome in our own wisdom, in our own psychology, in any of those things. It's not something that we can overcome on our own, but that there's something that God has to deliver us from. Ephesians 6, 12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so what we know is that the evil of our world, it actually has satanic origins. We're not wrestling against human beings. We're not even wrestling against political systems. We are wrestling against the forces of darkness that move human beings and move political systems. They are behind the scenes. So when you think that you're going to war with a person who is evil, what you need to understand is you're not at war with that person. We live to see those people set free and come to Christ. What we are at war is, is the powers behind them that has enslaved them and deceived them into believing a lie and walking against the truth of God's word. The basic evils that Jesus came to confront when he showed up on the scene were these. Sin, sickness, demonic oppression, nature out of control he actually confronts. And then he confronts the last enemy itself, which is death. Scripture says that the last enemy that shall be destroyed was death. Death, sickness, sin, disease, nature out of control is not a product of God wanting those things to happen. It's a product of the fall. And he says that Satan is the one that is at work behind these things that has caused these things to wreak havoc in our world. So when Jesus shows up on the scene, he begins to preach. He opens the scripture and he says, Look, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the afflicted. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to open the prison door to those who are bound. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And I love what he says in one place. He actually says, if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And what he's saying is, he's saying Satan has come and laid claim to the earth. The kingdom of darkness is at war with the kingdom of light. And what I've come to do is to bring my father's kingdom in a head-on collision course with the kingdom of darkness. And when the spirit of God impacts a person's life and that darkness and the demonic is driven out, he says the kingdom of God has actually come upon you. It's here in your midst. And honestly, as Christian people, we should experience oftentimes the kingdom of God breaking in on people's lives and things that they used to be bound to being set free from. And it's difficult for me to explain, but I remember like whenever I was in, whenever I was in college and going through this season of uh, really wrestling with truth and, and, and trying to realize, like I said, because there were certain things in my life that I had just come to believe, this is who I am, these are the things that I will always do, these are the practices that I'm always going to commit. But the deeper I pressed into seeking God, I was praying 
secretly. I was fasting secretly. I was studying the scripture secretly. And I kid you not, God is my witness. I started to experience some very weird things in which I came to realize that I was pushing into some demonic territory that he didn't want me getting into. Y'all ever been in that situation? How many of you started to follow Jesus? You started to read the word of God. You started to study. You started to push into some areas where you were looking for freedom. And all of a sudden things got a little bit weird and sometimes things got a little bit worse. You felt resistance. You felt something pushing back up against you because you were trying to claim territory that he himself had laid claim to and said, no, you better not be pushing up in my territory. I've already claimed this one. And I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes you got to push a little bit deeper. you got to go after God a little bit harder because we are in the middle of some warfare. Jesus' first act of ministry in Mark chapter 1, verse 23, he enters the synagogue and everyone is shocked because he teaches differently. Verse 23, it says, Immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. I'm going to tell you, I always, I always wrestle with what I should tell or not. And Andrea says I need to be really careful about the stories that I tell because some people just can't get a framework for it. And it actually works to scare people more than help them. Y'all know what I'm talking about. But if you ever wanted to know some stories, I could tell you. But I remember, I'm going to tell you one scary story since it's the season, all right? Um, I remember when, when I was, like I said, I was sort of in between. I wasn't free yet. I was seeking Jesus, but I was still kind of doing the same things that I did before. And I was in my apartment in Richmond, and this is when it, I, it became very aware to me. I was praying, I was fasting, I was reading the Bible, but I still had a lot of addictions. And one night, late at night, I, to I told my mom this story, and she said, Clay, are you sure that you weren't on some kind of hallucinogenic drugs? I said, well, Mother, I may have been. But that's beside the point, because this experience was real. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm just really battling internally, because I, I want God, I want my life to change, but I am enslaved. I don't know how else to tell you, but, but I'm sitting there one night, and it's about midnight until the hour of 3 a.m., and I'm sitting there, and I'm sitting, I'm drinking, I'm doing some things, but I'm honestly thinking about God, I'm thinking about my life. And about somewhere in the middle of that, that, that night, I felt an eerie darkness come into the room. And I looked around at everything in my, in my apartment and in my room, and there was even one of my buddies that was there, and he ended up saying, I think I'm going to go upstairs. And, and I felt an eerie darkness come in there. And the Lord is my witness about the time I felt that eerie darkness come in there, a buddy of mine who had been out all night at another party comes and knocks on the door. It's 3 a.m. He opens the door. I said, man, what are you doing here? He said, man, I just figured I'd stop by. Now, he's, he's blown away, honestly. He sits down on the couch beside me, and, and the reason this comes to my mind is because whenever he talks to Jesus, when the demons talk to Jesus, they talked in plural form. What have you come to do to us? Well, we have a conversation, and I'm telling you, I'm looking at this guy, and I'm not looking at my friend. I don't know how to explain what's going on, but I start to tell him, look, dude, I don't know what you're doing right now, but you're scaring me a little bit. Why don't you go home and get into bed? <laughs> and he looked at me, and his face turned a little bit, and he smiled, and he said, we're not going anywhere. And I felt in that moment a confrontation 
of the enemy that said, we know what you're trying to do. You're trying to push into God. You're trying to leave us. You're trying to go in a different direction. But you need to know that you got a fight on your hands, son. And at that point, it scared me. But I need to tell you this, and here's what I'm here to tell you this morning. Now that I know who I am in Christ and the experiences that I've had in my life, here's what I know, that every demon bows to the name of Jesus. They may try to instill fear. They might try to say that they can hold on to you. But when you're ready to do business with God and submit to God and resist the powers of darkness, they have no power over the name of Jesus Christ. And they will flee from you. And you will know who you are. And you will have a spirit in you that says, No, you ain't living up under that bondage anymore. They want to lay claim to people, but they don't have power over Jesus. And so it really comes down to a willingness of whether or not you're going to submit to God or not. Now, they knew who Jesus was, these demons did. They knew in his ultimate ability to destroy them. And every time he entered in the room, they said, We know who you are. Have you come to torment us before the time? I love what it says in Luke 10, verse 17. It says, The 72 returned with joy because Jesus had sent 72 out on a mission. And they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. That means that when they went in, they encountered some evil forces. And when they spoke the name of Jesus over those situations, those demons were subject to them. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, he's saying, boys, don't boast about it. He's saying, don't boast about it. You won't, you won't tell, let me tell you something I saw. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And you don't hear me boasting about it. But then he says, Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And watch this. Nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Exercise your authority over the enemy, but rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and you know that you have eternal life and that you're not going to the same eternity that those demons that seek to bind human beings are going. He says rejoice in this, but my first point in this message is that Jesus deputizes us with his authority that absolutely conquers the darkness. He has deputized you. He has gotten all authority in heaven and earth. He has defeated Satan with one final blow in overcoming sin on the cross and then being raised from the dead, overcoming death itself. And he said, now I want you to go into all the world with this same authority that I've received. And he says, and when you go out, he says, the demons or the, the serpents, the scorpions are going to be subject to you in that sense. The powers of darkness are going to be subject to you. And so there should be no fear in the Christian life when it comes to this stuff. And this is why I don't like things that bring fear in the Christian life. Amen. You need to be aware of things that bring, try to seek to bring fear in your life because those things are not of God. Amen. And so we have to be willing to face our enemy because you're guaranteed to lose a battle. One, if you don't know there's an enemy. Two, if you don't know who your enemy is. Three, if you refuse to engage and confront your enemy, you will lose the battle. But you will also lose the battle if you don't know who you are in Christ and that that victory itself has already been won and your enemy has been stripped of his power. Now he walks around trying to deceive you and convince you that somehow he's got more power than he does. And he doesn't. So Mark reveals Jesus as the ultimate authority over all the powers of darkness if you read the entire book of Mark. And everything is leading up to this one story in Mark chapter 5 over his victory in the powers of darkness. And there's this grace encounter in Mark chapter 5. And here's what it says in verse 1. It says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. 
And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now, it starts out by saying they came to the other side of the sea. If you read this in its context, in just the chapter before, what had happened was Jesus said, boys, go down and get in the boat. We're going to go to the other side. They get down in the boat. Jesus, just like me, loves naps. He goes down to the bottom. He sleeps on the ESV vision, it says, uh, version. It says a cushion. Like he slept down on a pillow in the bottom. A storm stirs up over the sea when they're crossing to the other side. The disciples are scared to death. They said, Jesus, you don't care we're out here perishing, man? He gets up. He said, man, you a little faith. He rebukes the storm, and he tells the sea to be calm. And what's interesting is the words that he uses when he does that throughout the rest of the Scripture are used when he addresses demons. It's the same exact word. So it's as if he's rebuking that storm as if it were a demon at work. Now, some scholars will argue about this and say, well, no, God's the one that is in power behind nature and this and that. And overall, yes, God is sovereign over all creation. He has all things in his hand. But what you need to understand is we live in a broken world which Satan has laid claim to. And some would argue that what Mark is trying to say is that there was a demonic influence even behind the storm, stirring it up. Why? Because he wanted to keep them from going to the other side because he knew he was about to face a power that was greater than than him he knew the strongholds that were in the garrisons Satan knew that he had laid claim to this place called the garrisons the Decapolis and he knew that they were coming in with an authority and a power that was greater than him and he said boys we got to stir something up to keep this boat from getting to the other side and you need to understand that sometimes your greatest battles your greatest victories over the devil you're going to be faced with extreme resistance before you get to the other side now, it didn't stop Jesus. It almost stopped the disciples. Had Jesus not been in the boat, you know what I think the disciples would have said? Boys, let's turn around. We, God don't want us to be on the other side. You know what God's will was? To go through the storm, to get to the other side, to persevere through resistance and conflict so that a man could be set free. Not only a man be set free, but maybe even possibly an entire region be set free. Because this demonic force had not just laid claim to a man, it had laid claim to a region. And the Jews, here's what's interesting, they go into the place called the Gerasenes, and it's a place called the Decapolis. It's ten cities that were occupied by Gentiles, and they're actually known for their farming of pigs. And so pigs are unclean to the Jews, and they would not go into this place. And the Hebrew root of the name for Gerasenes is actually to banish or drive out, or cast out. It's as if the Scripture's trying to say that even this land needed an exorcism. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all ever known like a place that just needs deliverance? Maybe a house? Maybe an entire region? Maybe a county needs deliverance? Needs some things pushed out? Needs some spirits of addiction and religion and darkness that are pushed out and broken? And what we need to do is get an entire group of people to break their allegiance with the enemy and say, we're going to now live for Christ. And all of a sudden that darkness begins to be pushed out in the name of Jesus. This is what we want to see, folks. 
We need to understand that Satan's not just working on individuals. He looks to enslave entire regions. He looks to use entire governments. And throughout his, 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 his history, if you look at the history of the world, you see that they are actually behind the scenes. Here's what we see about this man. He's living among the tombs, which means that the tombs are unclean. You imagine this man coming out. He's got scabs. He's naked. He's bleeding. His hair is all raggedy and matted together. He's unclean both physically and ceremonially. He's been sleeping among the dead, which makes him ceremonially unclean. He's among pigs, which makes him unclean. He's cutting, and he, he's cutting himself and he's bleeding, which makes himself unclean. And the man's unsettled and uncontrollable. They've been trying to change man maybe even trying to dope him up a little bit you know what I'm talking about like let's go in here and inject this dude and just see if we can get him in a catatonic state because he is wild and we don't know what to do with him and so they're trying to bind him with external forces but nothing external is working this man has supernatural strength he even breaks the chains that bind him there is no human made solution to his problems and so all of this uncleanness even the land itself is unclean, but here's my second point. I need you to understand this. This is what I know to be true about Jesus as much as anything, is that Jesus chooses to move into our dark places, and when he does, he brings his light and freedom that drives out all darkness. Jesus ain't scared of your dark places. Matter of fact, when you meet Jesus, when I met Jesus... Within the first year after I truly had a conversion and was filled with the Holy Spirit, the deeper I pressed into Jesus, guess what? The deeper he pressed into my darkness. He brought things up in my past that I never wanted to touch again with a 10-foot pole. But he knew, Clay, if you want to be completely whole, you're going to have to open some doors in your soul that you've hidden and pushed down because you didn't want to deal with. But if you're really going to get set free, you've got to open all the doors up. You've got to let me into that darkness. And he says, I want to move into that because I want to bring my light into those places. And here's the thing, darkness and death. Like you say, well, I can't even relate to this, dude. I ain't naked out among the tombs, cutting myself and bleeding and freaking out. Like nobody's like that, Clay. What are you talking about? What I want to argue is this is obviously an intense case. There are people in the world in the same shape right now. I promise you this. But the thing about it is, is every single one of us have a darkness at some point in our lives that is unique to our own situation, given what we grew up in, given the sins we committed in our past, given the abuse that we experienced. It's unique to all of us. But all of us has dealt with some measure of darkness. And oftentimes we'll bind ourselves with external things that we think are going to subdue us and keep us okay and, and help us cope with situations. But ultimately what we need is an encounter with Jesus. And for many of us, it might be that you're holding on to a relationship that's actually leading you in a wrong direction, but you think that relationship is what's going to get you through. For many people, it could be like this acceptable social level. I remember when I was really, really coming off of like drugs and alcohol, you know, I just tried to tone it down a little bit and say, well, this is like an acceptable amount, but really I was still using it to cope with the darkness that was on the inside of me. It could be that you throw yourself harder and harder into your work and into your career because the brokenness from your childhood has overflowed into your life to where now you don't feel like you have any worth or any value, so you're trying to find worth and value in your job itself. It could be that you experienced abuse from a family member as a child. Maybe you went through such a traumatic event that you don't even like to think about it. Maybe you had something like an abortion and you're dealing with the pain of your past, but you just try to keep it suppressed. It could be that you've got addictions. Maybe a lot of you secretly you have an addiction to pornography. 
Maybe you have an addiction to gambling or, or drugs or, or maybe you have other addictions to, to, to different things. Like maybe you have an eating disorder. But really deep down what's going on is you're trying to mask the darkness that's on the inside. It could just be thought patterns that you have in your mind where literally you live in a state of self-loathing. That you get in this cycle of thinking these negative, awful thoughts about yourself and maybe even people around you. And that thought pattern drives you deeper and deeper away from God, brings you into depression, isolation. But all of these things, I'm going to tell you something, folks. These things are not from the Lord. There are powers of darkness at work to subtly move us away from what God wants for us in our lives. And I'm not saying that all of us don't wrestle with these things at times. All of us have temptations, we have struggles, we have battles. There's times when my mind is not just right. But here's the thing, we are in an ongoing battle whether we have experienced freedom or not. We're still battling the enemies that we face. The same demons that came against you in the end, back in the day, whenever you get free, guess what? They're going to try to come back. Can I tell you one more scary story? I better not. I, better, I really better not. I really better not now. <clears throat> So why is it like this? Why is it like this? The scripture says that this man is demon-possessed. If you read a lot of scholars and how they break down the Greek language, a lot of people will say that demon-possessed is really not the best language for, for these use of terms. Um, the, the Greek word is daimonitsomai. I know y'all like that, right? Get it tattooed or something. No, I wouldn't get that one. That's a bad choice. Uh, but it means, it's, it's better translated demonized. It means that there's an oppression. It means that, that the demonic has uh, freedom in your life to some degree to, to sway your will and even sort of control certain actions. But they don't have necessarily always full possession. But if I'm going to argue about possession, this man is as close to being possessed by the devil as humanly possible. He's lost complete control of his life. Man can't even go to the bathroom and take a shower correctly. Like he is under complete possession. But what we're really talking about when we're talking about demons at work, people are oppressed. It means that in some area of somebody's life, there's been access into their soul because of certain things, that, certain doors that they've opened in their lives. Could be things that they've done, could be things that have been done against them. But literally what they've found, what demons are looking for is human agreement. They're always running to and fro, seeking whom they may devour. And what they want is human agreement. They want you to come into agreement with their lies. They want you to come into agreement with who they say you are. They want you to come into agreement with what they believe is right and wrong versus what God believes is what right and wrong. And there's these certain doors that get open. I'm going to tell you one scary story. You ready? I didn't want to go that deep. But I'm just, this, one, this one isn't really that bad. But here's another experience I had. And this is, what I, this is what I love about Jesus. The Lord set me free. When the Lord set me free, I was in my bedroom in Lexington. And what I mean by being set free is the day before, I was completely bound doing the same exact things, the habitual sins and practices, without being able to stop. And I had an encounter with Jesus when I finally came to the end of myself and fully repented and said, God, I'm done with this stuff. 
And when that happened, I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Jesus showed up in my room. And again, I don't know how to explain it, but I felt darkness leave me. I felt thousands of pounds of weight and depression and darkness lift off of me. I felt like a new human being. I had a newfound clarity of thought and mind. Love all of a sudden filled my soul. Joy all of a sudden filled my soul that I'd never had before, that none of the drugs could bring, that none of the sex could bring, that none of those things could bring. All of a sudden, pure joy was flowing out of the inside of my soul, and I was free. And I remember thinking, man, this is what freedom truly is. Now, I, I went to church for about a month or two, but you know the Scripture says this, and sometimes I think we read this as Christian people and just think it's sort of like hocus-pocus, like it's just, it's just something for the past, but now we've actually got hospitals to deal with this stuff and things like that. But I had there's, there's a Scripture in Matthew that says that when a demon or an unclean spirit leaves a man, it goes into dry places seeking rest. Finding none, it gets seven more spirits that are more wicked than itself, returns to the place that it had left, finds it all swept and cleaned up, and enters back into the man, and the case of that man was worse than it was for him in the beginning. Now, about a month after that situation, I'm asleep in my bed at night, and I had a scary dream. In the dream, I imagined that somehow the enemy had come to lay claim to me once again and had somehow taken possession of my life. I woke up in the middle of that dream horrified with a pressure on my chest, not able to get a word out of my mouth. Some of you I've heard you've even experienced this before. Not able to get a word out of my mouth. And all I could do was finally get the name of Jesus out of my mouth. And when I got the name of Jesus out of my mouth, I felt it lift off. And I felt trembling in my body. And I knew it felt as if I was surrounded by darkness. I saw nothing, but I felt darkness. And I knew instantly, it was just like an internal knowledge of the fact that what had left me that Jesus set me free from years ago had now returned to say, no, nah, you ain't getting away this easy. We brought a whole squad against you now, homie. Like, we, we're going to come and take back what is rightfully ours. I turned over trembling, crying because I felt that presence and I knew the weight of what was happening in my life. I opened my Bible and began to read Psalms out loud and I felt turbulence in the room. I felt a holy presence enter the top of the room. Don't know again how to explain it but I know that warfare break, broke out all around me and Jesus Christ was once again the victor and I remained in freedom I'm telling you something folks when you get free from stuff it's not a time to lax and lay down it is a time to be filled with the spirit of God to give your heart and, and devotion fully to Jesus Christ and say Lord whatever's been emptied out I want you to fill that hole with you now I want you to fill, that, fill me up with your peace and your joy and your love and give me a new heart. But here's how the cycle, here's, here's how doors get opened in our life. Notice, put this next slide up. We start out with uh, temptation to sin. Maybe even we're sinned against. Maybe we experience something very traumatic in our lives. It could be abuse. Oftentimes it is abuse. And there's lies that are tied in with all of those things. And what they're looking for is for us to say yes and agree with that temptation. Agree with the fact that we're abandoned, abused, and neglected. Agree with the spirit of shame. Agree with the spirit of lust. Agree with bitterness and hatred and anger. And what we do is we say, Satan, we're going to open that door for you. And he gets a place in our lives. 
Now, he doesn't have full control of our lives, but he's got a room to, to navigate here. And all of a sudden, when he gets that place, he wants to move us into action. So now we begin to commit the sin. We begin to partake in the sin. And as we commit the actions, he gets a deeper foothold and he lays greater claim to, our, to us. And then we start to, we start to see this show up in mental obsession. Our thought patterns start to go haywire and all of a sudden it leads into habitual patterns of sinful behavior. And when we lead into those habitual patterns of sinful behavior, he gets a stronghold of our actions. He gets a stronghold in our thought life and we become consumed, enter into depression, enter into deeper addictions, enter into deeper pain, bitterness, unforgiveness, all of these things. And guess what it does? It opens us wide open to demonization. And we find ourselves in a dark hole Wondering how in the world do I get out of this? And I'm telling you, you can mask it with a million different things, but the only one that can set somebody truly free is Jesus Christ. We have to come with Him, come to Him, make a clean break. And so here's what I want to say about how do we break free. It's really quite simple. Jesus has all the power. He only asks a little bit from you. This is why when He comes up and He shows up on the scene, He tells us to repent, doesn't He? He tells us to repent. What's He saying? Turn from the way you've been going, from the agreement you've made with darkness, and turn to God and now walk with Him. That's what repentance means. So when we do it, put the next slide up. If we're going to break free, number one, we've got to recognize wherever we've given Satan access in our lives. I know this is a little bit much for people, but I'm telling you, if you're going to live in freedom, you need to recognize this. I don't know if it's you've not forgiven your father for what he did to you when you were a child. I don't know if it's because you played with a Ouija board when you were 10 years old. I don't know if you got into some really habitual, weird sexual sin. I, I don't know. But somewhere or another, you've got to recognize, you can even pray and say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me where I maybe have given access to the enemy. And what you need to do after that, when you know, you need to choose to repent and say, Lord, I'm turning from that and I'm letting that go. But not only that, I'm renouncing it because I'm breaking the agreement and the contract that I made with the enemy. I'm saying, you know what, I once walked in the spirit of lust, but I'm choosing to renounce that. I'm breaking agreement and God, I'm choosing to walk with you now in purity. And Satan, I give you no access to my life in this area any longer because I have been washed in the blood of Jesus. Now I know for a lot of you, you think, man, this is weird. It is life. It is life. And once we renounce it and we break the agreement, we begin to walk with God. We submit to him fully because here's the reason a lot of people don't get free. They don't want to be free. They want to flirt with their demons. They want to play with their sins and they're not willing to fully repent and renounce and break agreement. And so he says, then once you move into that, you learn to resist and say no to the temptations that come back. But there's a difference between trying to cope and being free. Trying to cope is that thing mentally tormenting you every day and you're trying to fight it off, trying to resist. And then all of a sudden when you're free, yeah, the temptations come, but they feel different. The temptations come, but you're able to say, nah. I can resist that in the power of Christ. Why? Because you're in the Word, you're in prayer, you're full of the Holy Spirit, and you're ready to fight with the enemy if he comes in the day of evil. So we don't know how long this man's been tormented, but he's obviously in terrible shape. Like we said, he's among tombs, he's crying out, nobody can bind him, he's cutting himself. And many people honestly are in a state of depression, isolation. They're cutting themselves down. There's, there's all kinds of these things. And the answer, once again, is Jesus and surrendering your life to him in full repentance. In Mark chapter 5, verse 6, it says, when, Jesus, when he saw Jesus from afar off, 
he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice he said what have you to do with me Jesus son of the most high God I adjure you by God do not torment me now this is interesting because you have demons saying something similar in Matthew 8 verse 29 it says behold they cried out what have you to do with us O son of God have you come here to torment us before the time I'm going to tell you something, if there's nothing that will make you a believer, a demon will make you a believer because they believe more than most Christians do. They know who Jesus is. And like I said before, demons prefer to remain hidden, but what you need to know about Jesus is that he's pure light. When they show up on the scene, they know, boys, we ain't got nowhere to hide. All that's in this room is pure light. And so they manifest themselves. They know exactly who Jesus is. They know what he's come to do. They know that he, they can't hide from him. And so the truth is, yes, he has come before the time. But see, they know that in the end, here's, what, here's what's interesting about demons. They know that in the end, they are already defeated. Right now, they're working to just simply bring down as many people as they possibly can with the time that they have left. But they know that there's a time coming where their judgment is already spelled out. But they fear that judgment day. They fear Jesus. And they also fear people who will know who they are in Christ. Who will not only walk in victory but lead other people into that same freedom and victory. Verse 8 it says, For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion. For we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now he says, what is your name? Now why would he ask what the demon's name is? Now it was actually, if you read in, in Old Testament literature and, and history, it, for, for an exorcist, it was protocol to go through about three steps. One, they would provoke or make contact with the demon verbally. Two, it says that they would ask it its name because they wanted to know its access point. How did you get into this man? What was, what was opened up in his life? It could have been something that happened when he was young. It could have been habitual sin patterns. But slowly, this man was not born like this. He took some steps that gave these demons access. Something happened, but then thirdly, once he knows who they are, he casts them out. And the name that the demons give is, he says, listen, we're legion for we are many. And the word that he uses, legion, is actually a word that was used for, for Roman military at the time. 6,000 foot soldiers, 120 horsemen of a legion. And so what you see is all of a sudden these demonic powers are basically revealing that in this area the same spirits that are influencing the Roman government are now at work among the citizens. Somebody amen me this morning. The same spirits that are at work among the government are now influencing and enslaving the citizens. And this is how it works on a much broader scale. He uses government, he's using Roman government to inflict fear, punishment, Judgment. He's killing people, murdering people. Matter of fact, guess what? Who ultimately does Satan use to have Jesus crucified? Even though it was God's preordained plan, Satan plays into the plan of God and he uses Roman government and Jewish religious leaders to crucify Jesus himself. Those are the powers that are at work. And you see these two things converging because we know that the, the demonic powers, they're not just interested in individuals even though they are. They want to run entire world systems. 
They do run entire world systems. They run entertainment and media. They pump out demonic doctrine on a daily basis of what your kids watch on television. This is why we have to be vigilant because our adversary, the devil, is truly walking about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he would love to get a hold of our kids. Amen. Brother's like, man, Clay, this is encouraging this morning. My point is, is that we have truly, if you read Scripture, you can't get out of the New Testament without recognizing that you have an enemy. And you've got to be vigilant. And you've got to be aware of how he is at work. Verse 11, it says, Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. He granted the prayer request of a bunch of demons. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now, you've got to understand, 2,000 pigs is big business. The Jews didn't like pigs. They were unclean. Thank God that Jesus has ceremonially made pigs clean, and we can eat them. Amen. Good news this morning. That's something you can take away that you can be encouraged about. You can go home, eat a pork chop and a ham sandwich. But here's the thing. Demons can influence people externally, but they prefer a body in this earth. You recognize that. They prefer human beings. God designed human beings to be what? Filled with the Holy Spirit so that they could image forth God in the earth. Demons seek to imitate God so that they can influence human beings and reveal darkness in the earth. And those two things are at war, and which one we agree with will determine what spirit ultimately is the one that drives our life. And we are yielded as Christians fully to the Holy Spirit to drive our life. But see, there's a big challenge here because this is big business, and the challenge is, is what are you willing to give up that you love in order to follow and serve Jesus? In verse 14, it says, The herdsmen fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus, and notice this, they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Imagine, imagine a man half-naked all the time, cutting himself, hanging out up around the tombs, screaming and hollering at night and howling like a wild animal, and all of a sudden you see him sitting clothed and in his right mind, and you're afraid. But do you know in our world, even when we start to talk about this, you know what people do? They get afraid. They get afraid sometimes of the things of God and when God actually shows up to minister in a powerful way. People are more comfortable with darkness than they are with light. And that's a scary thing in our world, that people are actually more comfortable with the presence of evil than they are with the presence of God. These people were more comfortable with darkness consuming them than they were with light flooding that place. Man, may our world never, may our, may our county, may, our, may, our, may we never get that way. That we slip so deep into darkness that we become afraid. They've come up under a demonic cloud in that entire region because Satan this didn't just have control of this one man. He had control over that entire region. But they begged Jesus to leave. Why? Because he had destroyed their economy. I mean, he had economic practices about like Joe Biden. You know what I'm talking about? I know I get a laugh out of you this morning. But D.A. Carson says it like this. He said, the loss of the herd becomes a way of exposing the real values of the people in the vicinity. 
They preferred pigs to people. They preferred swine to the Savior. And the question is, at the end of the day, what are we living for? Are we living for our own personal gain? Are we living for what makes us comfortable? Are we living to get God to allow us to forgive us in our sinful patterns and behavior? Are we coming to God and saying, Lord, I'm willing to let everything go if you'll simply set me free. I'm willing to lay everything down at your feet if you will simply break these chains and set me free. If I lose everything, God, what I want is you and I want your spirit to invade my heart. And they weren't ready for this. They see this man clothed and in his right mind. And here's what you need to understand is that we cannot free ourselves. You can't find enough help. You can't get enough self-help books to free yourself. You need an encounter with Jesus where you're willing to lay it down and submit and surrender to him. There are three prayer requests in this story. The demons ask if they can go into the pigs. And Jesus says, yeah, go ahead. Answered prayer. The townspeople say, hey, Jesus, would you leave? We don't want you here, man. You're messing stuff up. And he says, yeah, prayer granted. And then this man asks Jesus if he can follow him, and Jesus says no. That's probably like the most realistic prayer out of the bunch. Can I follow you? Jesus is like, no, I can't do that. I'll let, I'll let the demons go on the pigs. I'll leave these people since they ask. But you asked to follow me, and I'm saying no because i got something else for you to do. Verse 18, it says, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but he said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Number three, my last point, is that Jesus sets us free and then he sends us out as his ambassadors. We've talked about a million identity statements here lately that we are chosen, that we are accepted, that we are forgiven, we are the anointed of God, we are children of the Most High God. We've been set apart, sanctified, set free, made holy by God Himself. This is our identity, but we are also ambassadors who exist to live in freedom and also exercise authority that will bring others into that same freedom that Jesus offers. He says, go home and tell your friends. I'm telling you, some of the greatest, some of the greatest evangelists, even in our church, are just people who simply come. They come to church. They have an encounter with the presence of God. Jesus speaks to their heart. They lay some things down. They break agreement with some things that they've been in agreement with. They start walking with Jesus. They invite somebody to small group. And they start to tell people about what Jesus has done in their life. My question to you is, when is the last time you shared with anybody who's going through some real dark seasons what Jesus has done in your life? Listen, Jesus can set you free. When's the last time you went and told your friends, your family, and just shared with them? I know, get, let me tell you something, not everybody receives it immediately. But you've got to be going out and sowing that seed. I, I guarantee you that not every person that this man told right out of the gate just had an encounter with God and was immediately set free. But we go out and we plant the good seed because we walk in the authority of Jesus. And sometimes you're going to have encounters with people that need prayer. And let me tell you something. You've been deputized with the authority of God to say, you know what, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we break the powers of darkness right now. This depression, we're telling it to go in Jesus' name. This addiction, we're commanding it to go in Jesus' name. Now, ultimately, every person for themselves has to choose to repent and turn to Jesus and lay down their own sin. We can't change that, but we can certainly invite them with the gospel. We can certainly call them to that place of repentance. But that's what he's calling us to do. 
to be ambassadors who are set free. Amen? So my question to you this morning is just where are you at with the Lord? What is it in your heart, in your own, in your own dealings that you need to invite Jesus into and say, God, I've got some darkness here. I've got some doors that I need to open up and I need you to enter into because I need some freedom in this area. Amen? I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. And just ask him, just say, Lord, I'm asking you to come into every dark place in my heart, whatever it may be. It could simply be unforgiveness or bitterness or anger. could be an addiction that you just can't shake. But Jesus, we're just inviting you into those places right now. We're just inviting you into those dark places to bring change, to bring transformation. And I just want you, would you pray a prayer with me right where you're at? You can just pray it out of your mouth to use your own authority to pray through this. But I want you to pray this with me. I just want you to say, Jesus, I believe you shed your blood for my forgiveness and salvation. I confess my sin to you and I receive your forgiveness. Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. And I forgive anyone who has sinned against me. And I release them to you now, God. Any agreement that me or my family has made with darkness, I renounce now in Jesus' name. And I stand in the authority that Christ has given me as a child of God. Jesus was punished, so I am forgiven. Jesus was wounded, so I am healed. Jesus became sin, so I am made righteous. Jesus was rejected, so I am accepted as a child of God. I am redeemed from every curse. Every curse is broken over my life. And Satan, you have no place in my life any longer. So you must go now in the name of Jesus. I am free from sin, from disease, from fear, from bitterness, from unforgiveness, and all the powers of darkness. I am released from the thoughts and opinions of myself and others, God's thoughts define who I am. I'm just asking this. Lord, fill me right now with your Holy Spirit, with your love, with your power, with your peace. In Jesus' name, amen.